Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Dr. Andrew Schlegelmilch, a clinical psychologist who specializes in working with individuals on the autism spectrum and their families. Andrew is also the head psychologist at Orion Academy in Moraga, California, where he works with high school students on the spectrum and teaches a class on sex and dating. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. You know, you and I met, um, seems to be about a month ago, when I came right. to Orion Academy, and I had the pleasure, distinct pleasure, of uh, sitting in on a seminar you were doing about teens and sex. Now, that's my ballywick. I love talking about <laughs> teens and sex. I love talking to parents and to students about this kind of stuff. But okay. your student population is unique. Can you tell yes. us about it? Yeah, um, Orion Academy is a high school, uh, college preparatory high school designed specifically for kids on the spectrum and uh, especially for high functioning kids. So really smart, intelligent kids with uh, who were formally diagnosed with things like Asperger's, um, but also nonverbal learning disabilities and other related neurocognitive disorders. So um, very intelligent, verbal, uh, talkative kids who uh, have very specific problems in uh, socializing and organizational skills and those kinds of things, which makes talking about sex and dating uh, extremely fun and uh, entertaining and rewarding for me. Well, I laughed a lot as I was sitting in your seminar and took lots of notes because there were some gems that you were oh, recounting. <laughs> and good. I wonder if you could share with our listeners just some of the, what I would say, unusual, at least unusual for neurotypical teens, unusual questions that your students have about sex and dating. Okay. Well, I, I always like to start off when, when people ask my opinion on this, I like to start off with my favorite interaction. Um, I was called in because I'm uh, the, the uh, we have a couple of psychologists on staff, but I'm the only male psychologist. So um, I get to talk with the boys about uh, sex. And I always like to start off with lists. And so I, I just asked the guys, um, I said, let's, let's name all the reasons that you can think of why people have sex. And okay. um, these kids are not embarrassed they, uh, in, the, in the traditional ways by talking about sex. So I, I just enjoy the openness. So I was in my mind preparing, I could think of maybe like five reasons why people have sex, you know, emotional closeness and, and, and this and that. These kids came up with 17 reasons that the that people might have sex and they were all valid. And, and you know, I started with a little area of the board to write on and, and I filled up the entire board. So, um, so if you can imagine. No, um, I can't. Go ahead. <laughs> well, if you can imagine, you know, this level of sort of like, openness to the topic and uh, maybe lack of, of social constraints, like I'm a psychologist and or in a teacher and, and, and an adult, and, and if all those barriers were gone, you know, and you had questions about sex, what would they be? And so those those are kind of the questions that I get. you got to give me some maybe in the 10 yeah. through 15 range of the, <laughs> on their list. Uh, um, well, they, they have a lot of questions. Um, they have a lot of procedural questions. They have a lot of um, things that I, I get the sense that, like somebody asked a question, uh, I remember, uh, do you have to take your pants off to have sex? And, uh, you know, and the answer is, uh, it depends, you know, what kind of pants you're wearing. And, uh, but, but just real practical. But also there's, there's a lot of um, very much like um, trying to discover 
than an, a different culture about why why would people want to be you know physically intimate um you know if you can imagine kids with a lot of sensory issues and especially um problems with uh touch and yes. you know and you know lots of other anxieties around that um they can't imagine why people would want to be physically intimate so and this is not 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 everybody, but but you get those share of questions uh, in that range, um, in that, that and area And so as well. here you are, you're essentially talking to them as a neurotypical male mm-hmm. to a group of neuroatypical young men right. and trying to explain stuff to them. Um, I'm curious about the... Um, the understanding barrier and what happens mm-hmm. as your information comes through and gets caught up somewhere and, and how they're perceiving it. Um, right. This seems fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, um, I have spent years working with these kids and, and really I work in a school, so I see them every day mm-hmm. and we have formal contact every day, but we also have informal contact every day. So 180 days a year. And in some cases during the school year, I will see these kids, I'll have more contact with them than their parents do. So, um, it, you know, in some cases, so they, they trust me, they understand me as an authority. Um, but also I've, learn to, uh, and, and you have to kind of get good at, at being, um, explicit and, and not like sexually explicit, but explicit in using correct language and, and, uh, thorough explanations for everything. So it's, it's kind of a, a way of interacting that you just kind of pick up and learn. Um, so after, you know, you establish credibility, you just start a dialogue and I'll say, you know, make a statement and follow with, does this make sense? And, and yes or no. And then, well, tell me what you understand, uh, by that. And and what are you thinking? And, and, uh, you know, repeat that back to me and you see what comes back and, and that kind of thing. So, so I, I'm wondering then, what is the goal in terms of your teaching? Um, mm-hmm. you're, you've got a population that has um, issues, as you say, some of them sensory issues, um, mm-hmm. getting closeness, attachment issues, right. being able to read social cues and all of that stuff. And so right. I'm wondering, um, yeah, what is the goal? Not to turn them into um, pseudo-neurotypical kids because they are who they right. are. Right. The goal is, and, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I, you want these kids to be happy. You want them to have, uh, as many opportunities as possible. And I think too often, uh, you get the, I don't understand it or it makes me anxious. And so therefore I just won't do it. And, um, so I like to do my best to kind of eliminate as many barriers as possible. And as long as those barriers are about experience or about understanding or, um, you know, procedural barriers, uh, we can, we can deal with that. We can take care of that. We can eliminate those. And I'd really like a kid to say, I just, I get it and I understand it, but I'm not interested. Uh, I want them to be able to get to that point if they're not going to partake. I got um, it. We're, yeah. we're really open with these kids that um, they represent a, a small minority of people, small but, you know, growing minority, uh, vo- growingly vocal minority, but a minority nonetheless, and that the world was not necessarily created for or by them. But that doesn't mean that they can't be successful and be happy and, and achieve the things that they want to they want to do. 
I love when you say help them overcome procedural barriers. I think yeah. that's really important. And that was one of the takeaways I got from your seminar as I was okay. sitting there listening. Okay. Um, you had a, you posed a, a challenge to them mm-hmm. in terms of how can you increase the likelihood that the person you're asking <laughs> on a date will actually say yes. This right. is a procedural right. barrier that yeah. you're helping with them. So can yeah. you share with our listeners, please, some mm-hmm. of the things you told them? If you want to up your chances of the girl or the guy saying yes to your invitation, what do you do? Right. There, there's a bunch. And I think that there's there's a lot that goes without saying for most kids, uh, but not necessarily for this population. For example? So, for example, the one that the parents responded really well to when I, when I uh, was giving this talk was the hygiene piece. Um, if you smell bad or look disgusting or look dirty, or you can't really smell yourself or, you know, if you don't shower regularly or if your clothing is, is offensive or whatever, which are all kind of common issues with this population, the person is that, that you're asking out is, is less likely to say yes. And while we can never guarantee, you know, success and and that kind of thing, we can do a lot to sort of increase the chances of yes. Um, The other one that, uh, you know, just kind of occurred to me while I was, um, some student asked me, well, well, how do you ask somebody out on a date? And I I said, you know, the the right answer is, well, you just go up and ask. But for our students um, who have organizational deficits, um, there needs to be a certain level of specificity when you're asking a person out on the date. Because I, you know, I'd listen to these invitations and they would sound something like, you want to go out sometime? And the person would say, sure. And then my student would just, great, and then walk away and <laughs> never come back to the conversation. Um, you know, but having some sort of level of, would you like to go out with me this Friday to see a movie? Okay, um, that's specific. That's, that's good. That's much more specific. And it's not, you know, you're not, you're not overly specific. Like, and watch this movie that I have to watch and then get, you know, popcorn at 30 minutes in and then, you know, use the bathroom at 45 minutes. And <laughs> so not that level of specificity, but something that, that, you know, offers some help to the person who is organizationally uh, challenged. This is great. Okay, so the two things that you I've just heard you said, which increase their chances of getting a date, I could also understand that parents would be very, very happy that the kids were working on these things because I can imagine something like, I don't want to take a shower. No, I I live and sleep in, in these jeans and this <laughs> this shirt, and I don't right. ever, ever want you to launder it, that these things could become um, challenges for parents at home. And here yeah. you're saying, okay, I've got something else. I'm not your parent, but you say you're interested in dating. And you can understand about increasing your chances or decreasing your chances. So here's something you can work on to increase your chances. And then home life also may become a beneficiary of this. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, the the savvy parent uses any sort of incentive or potential incentive to, to motivate the behaviors that they think will lead to success in the future. So, um, you know, if your child expresses an interest in dating or wanting to have a girlfriend or boyfriend or, or whatever, um, you can start to ask those questions of, 
you know, um, do you think how you look right now is going to increase or decrease the chances uh, or how you smell right now? Is that, is, do you think somebody wants to smell you during, you know, a, a two hour movie or, or not? You know, uh, the same goes with getting a part time job or, uh, you know, anything else. We want to encourage our kids toward independence and, and wanting to make something of their life. And so the savvy parent uses these opportunities to sort of point back at the self, back at the child and say, well, what can you do to make sure that that happens? This is awesome. Okay. Now, one thing I also took away from your seminar was the breakup plan, yeah. which I thought was brilliant. And um, <laughs> because I work with all kinds of teens, you yeah. know, I just took it to my heart and I thought, oh, this is, this is really excellent information. Yeah. <laughs> Can you share with us, first of all, why you created a breakup plan? Right. It's right. almost like, um, what do they call it? <laughs> Before people, a prenup agreement? The prenuptial, yeah. Yeah. No, this is, uh, it's, um, I, I think it's probably based on the same concept is, is uh, you know, nobody's in the right mind when you, uh, you know, despise somebody enough to want to break up with them. Uh, so you, you make plans before that so that it's, you know, and everybody knows what they're getting into. Um, there, there's a couple of things that make a breakup plan um, in and I can show you some, share with you some details on that. But a couple of things which which inspired me to make a breakup plan. Um, the one is that um, breakups are hard. I think dating and dating relationships and romantic relationships are hard. And um, just about every teenager, you know, neurotypical or not, I talk to underestimates how difficult they are and how challenging they are. And not just like, you know, uh, procedurally, you know, how when do we start holding hands kind of thing, but, um, just emotionally they're, they're hard. Um, so there's a lot of stress. People aren't usually thinking wonderfully. And the, the kids that I work with, uh, can sometimes have a lot of, um, perseverative thoughts and behaviors like, um, and then, and then some beliefs about who is wrong and, and who has to admit what, and that kind of thing. So right after relationships end, there's this, this, this like flurry of turmoil for about 24 to 48 hours where um, each person wants the other to admit that they were wrong and to apologize and to bow and scrape and, you know, make sure that, that everything gets worked out and I was right, you were wrong kind of stuff. Do your and teens that, typically go to social media and um, engage other people to their side of the feud? No, that's kind much. of the okay. not, that's kind of the interesting piece. Um, what they'll do if they use social media is they will pester the other person, ah. apologize, apologize, apologize. You know, why aren't you writing me back? I hate you too. You know, um, and it leads to disruption in sleep and throws off the whole schedule. Everything shuts down. So um, we needed a specific set of instructions for our kids. Um, and what I found is that if they can just leave it alone, it's like, it's like a, like a cut or a scab or something. If they'll just leave it alone it, it, without a whole lot of tending to it, it'll heal and it'll be okay. How long do they need to leave it alone? Um, like 48 hours is what I can tell it the time it takes for many of these kids to just move on. Just two um, days. It, yeah. It, it's a real kind of out of sight, out of mind mentality. Um, and it's a very much of like a compartmentalization of events and relationships. Uh, it's a peculiar thing. 
and um, these these kids as a as a group are able to put things in drawers, you know, mentally and emotionally, and just put them away, and and um, and really challenging and difficult things like romantic relationship breakups. So um, you say to them in your breakup plan, um, <laughs> essentially, don't touch it for forty eight hours, which means no communication. Yes, yeah, and and I'm really clear with them that you need to not mess with this because all of your instincts are telling you to do things which will make it worse. And um, so trust me, nothing bad is going to happen if you don't deal with this for, for I, I say, a week. But really, if they can get through the first 24 hours, they're usually home free. It's like quitting smoking, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Do you typically yeah. tell parents that this is going on and that, that maybe they oh, yeah. should monitor that, that impulse to get back online and say, Apologize, apologize. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, in, in these, the parents that I work with have, are really uh, knowledgeable about their kids or experts about their kids. They know who is up at three o'clock in the morning uh, trying to Skype with their ex, you know, friend or, or whatever. They know. They know their kids' uh, tendencies. And so we kind of problem solve the three of us, like a parent, me, and the child, about what are some of the risks and, um, you know, what kind of help do you need? And uh, so we'll do a contingency plan uh, for a little while. And then we'll, um, I really do like these things to resolve. I think our kids do really well having um, discussions with the person after the fact. Uh. This is what I felt. This is what I thought you were saying, you know, that kind of thing. It's a, uh, it's a truth and reconciliation session. Yes. Yeah. Reconciliation is super important. It's sort of like the, the bookend to the oh. interaction. And um, if left to their own devices, rarely will they go back and reconcile and, and sort of close up the matter. It'll just kind of sit out there. And that might be fine if you're working with two people on the spectrum. They, you know, whatever. But the rest of the world really expects there to be some closure or some finality to well, it. Well, I wish that were true of the typical teens that I work with. I mean, right. usually it's kind of out of sight out of mind but not really it's right below okay. the surface and it hurts right. and then you bring right. in all your friends and it's not okay for them to be friends with your ex and it gets right. so awful i just wish that some other schools would take on this model because we all know that teen relationships are the background noise of what's going on in every high school and yeah. it's usually not handled very well. So kudos to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, it, it's, and I'm, I, you bring up kind of an interesting point. Um, and this is what I really try to pass on to parents. And I say, this is my opinion, but the, you know, I'm not a huge fan of high school relationships. Um, I know a lot of parents who believe that it's essential for their kids. They, they think that, you know, this is part of growing up. This is something mm -hmm. I did. You know, it's like doctors who, you know, haze each other, haze their residents and those kinds of things. These sort of horrible activities that they believe are essential for learning the profession. Um, I try to be really clear with the parents. I don't believe a high school relationship is um, necessary for normal, typical, healthy uh, relational development in high school uh, for the for these kids. Um, I'm perfectly content with kids waiting until they feel like they want to um, pursue a relationship because of whatever value they get out of it. Um, so that is advice. I think some parents disagree with me politely. Others are relieved uh, when I say that to them. But um, 
you know, I, I just want to make sure that I get a, that across the parents. Yeah, truly. And ultimately, of course, the kids are going to do what they're going to do. And they, sure. I, I feel sorry often for the pressure they feel from their own peers and from society for them to be writing to me at age 12 and 13 and saying, what's wrong with me? I've never sure. had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. What's wrong with me? There's nothing right. wrong with you. There's something wrong with the, the culture that's telling you that right. you need to be moving in this direction at this yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Interestingly, I never, I really never get that statement from, from our students. I, there's, there's a vague recollection that other kids their age might go on dates, but uh, a real kind of lack of understanding about what that means and, and why somebody uh, who's 12 would want to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, it, it just rarely ever comes up. Interesting. So, mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, well, we're just about out of time, and I really okay. wanted to just kind of focus in maybe on three tips that you might have for parents mm. who have um, – kids on the spectrum who are moving towards puberty and, and right. through that transition, what they can expect if they haven't seen some of the behavior you've seen already and okay. how they can help their kids. Okay. Um, I'll try to limit this to just three. I have about if you've got five. So. If you've got five. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to I be clear with parents of kids on the spectrum that um, Asperger's and autism and, and, and uh, related disorders are developmental disabilities, which are um, include delays in social development. So um, it is my experience that kids on the spectrum do not typically have a drive for romantic relationships or, or you know, ex- those types of exclusive relationships at the same uh, pace and rate and age as, as neurotypical kids. So it's not uncommon for uh, the kids that I know and I work with to get all the way through high school and into college or into a job and then start to notice the opposite sex or, or, or the same sex for, you know, for the purpose of romantic relationship. So what I hear you saying to parents is um, this is not necessarily something to be alarmed about and you probably do best to not pressure your kid in any way that this is something they ought to be doing at this age if that's not where they're at. Yeah, and and I got to be honest, I was trying to think of are there any cases that I'm aware of where a kid where a parent was pressuring their kid to go get a girlfriend or boyfriend um, of the group that I work with and we're talking hundreds of parents and I can't really think of one. Okay. Uh, most parents I talk to are extremely relieved that they get uh, you know their peers who are parents are dealing with issues and um, they themselves get a five to six year kind of reprieve. Um, My message to parents is that's okay. That's, that's, that's typical development in this population from, uh, from my experience. Um, The second thing is I want to encourage parents to not take the, the, uh, not take dating lightly. Um, most of our students, they might think about it as being kind of desirable, but the actual act of dating for many of them is not fun. Um, for many of them, it's hard. It's hard for everybody to, to do well, but for them, it's confusing. And, um, especially kids who don't have a strong base or reference of like friendships, Mm-hmm. or the ability to form and maintain close personal friendships really struggle with dating. So I would say that there's a, there's a, a, a 
process here that um, if your kid wants to be dating, then they should probably be able to demonstrate that they can actually have a friend and maintain that friendship independently and be successful there. That's so, a really good one because I always wise. say that the word friend is in the word boyfriend and girlfriend mm-hmm. for yeah. a good reason when I talk to kids and parents as well. It's right. very good. Yeah. Got a and, third and one? A third one, yeah. Um, I would like to remind parents and that um, dating activates a broad range of disabilities and difficulties in in the uh, spectrum population. It's not just a relationship thing. It's an organizational thing like we talked about. So setting up plans with another person is extremely challenging for this population. But it's also a sensory thing because dating has with it a lot of expectations around uh, proximity um, and touch and and those kinds of things. So um, these are all areas uh, if your child is going to pursue dating and romantic relationships that, that really need to be addressed and talked about. This is, this is really excellent. Um, before we turn our attention to saying goodbye, I want to okay. give you an opportunity to um, let our listeners know, I know that you have a private practice as well, and you're mm-hmm. in the San Francisco Bay Area. Can you yeah. tell them where they could find out more about your work? Yes. I. Uh, well, if you want to find out more about school, about Orion Academy, it's orionacademy.org, and they've got a nice uh, website there. My practice is... Uh, I found at docschleg.com. That's D-O-C-S-C-H-L-E-G.com. And I have an office in Orinda and one in San Francisco. Um, and uh, the other thing, I have a Twitter feed, if you, uh, you know, if, a professional Twitter feed if you want to follow me there. Um, and also in, in April, I have a book coming out, a parenting book for uh, parents of teens on the spectrum. Uh, so be what is the title? That. It's uh, Parenting ASD Teens, A Guide to Making It Up As You Go Along. It's through uh, Jessica Kingsley Publishers, and, and uh, I was told April is the release date. Well, I hope you will send me a review copy because I would love to blog about it. Okay, yeah, of course. Of course I'll do that. Thank you so much, Andrew, for spending some time with us today. And um, uh, your work is really important, and I love the the warmth and and the humor that you bring to it. I'm sure your students are very appreciative of your friendship. Okay, yeah, thank you, thank you so much for having me, and I, I appreciate your insightful questions and, mm-hmm. and um, you know uh, helping me talk about this. Thanks. This is Annie Fox with Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and parents, visit anniefox.com. And please tune in next time for a new Family Confidential podcast. Until then, happy parenting.